Welcome to the Triathlete Hour. This week, we're talking to Matt Hansen, one of the fastest runners in the sport, even though he heel strikes. Oh, no. We talk about that, about why he quit academia when he was just six months shy of tenure, and how he did his first Ironman just because it was on a list his wrestling coach made him write in high school of 50 goals in the next 10 years. He ended up qualifying for Kona in that Ironman, falling in love with the sport and ultimately giving up his career as a professor of exercise science to become a professional triathlete. He's now won five Ironmans and recorded the fastest iron distance time at an Ironman brand race. He's also known as one of the smartest guys in triathlon. So you'll want to hear what he has to say. But first, Laura Sidal, Sid, and I dissect the exciting and surprising Olympic qualifier race this past weekend. And we look forward to the upcoming races like the North American champs in Tulsa this weekend. All of that after this break. Looking to improve your fitness and find great content? Check out our Active Pass membership program. Along with a Triathlete Magazine subscription and exclusive content across all our sister brands like Velo News and Yoga Journal, Active Pass includes access to training programs from today's plan, yoga and fitness courses to build strength and flexibility, meal plans from clean eating, and gear and event discounts. Right now, you can use Active Pass to help you build healthier habits in 2021. Go to triathlete.com backslash active pass to learn more. All right, we're back this week with Sid Talks, and Laura and I are going to break down the big race this weekend. Laura, the WTS race in Yokohama was the final Olympic auto qualifying event for the US for a bunch of countries, and it I mean, it was crazy. I we were my editors and I were texting each other giffies, devastation, craziness, like insane. I I think for the Americans it blew things apart. Yeah, I think like I the timing didn't work for for me in Europe to watch it live. So I woke up the next morning and was straight on like trying to find the results and was just like, oh oh wow. I mean that's amazing, but oh oh heck, like on the women's front mainly. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess for we should tell people. So what happened was Taylor Nib, uh, 23-year-old, former U23 junior world title, won. Like won. Yeah. And no one had her down for the win. Um, and that's great for her. And she gets the spot to the Olympics. What is crazy, the reason Laura and I were like, this is insane, is that means for the U.S. women, there's only one spot left. And Katie Zafaris and Taylor Spivey both need, like won it. Right? Yeah. And they're both medal contenders. And they're both... Like Taylor Spivey was fourth this, on on Friday, Saturday. Oh, that sucks. I mean, <laughs> this, this is a crazy thing because if this had all been last year, you'd have, and the way both Katie and Taylor Spivey were racing, you'd like to say they were both Olympic medal contenders, and they, and I think everyone was um, probably a little bit perplexed. And I'm not saying that these athletes do not deserve it; they have qualified as per criteria. So, but when Summer Rappaport got the automatic spot in the Tokyo test event I think everyone went oh that was probably not planned again probably expected like Katie or Taylor to to grab one of those but she did and that was full credit to her and then sort of coming into this race with those two spots and I think everyone had all all kind of sort of thought yep I think they're both up for that but that extra year of COVID has just given 
like full credit to Taylor Nim. And if you, I kind of admit I had to look back and go, right, I need to do a bit of Googling about, about her. And she's got a fantastic resume, like junior world champion, like under 23 world champion. So those three back-to-back races. And I guess it was always going to be a, um, a question of when she was going to break onto the senior scene and, and get that result. But the extra year perhaps is, yeah, enabled her to do it uh, in in Tokyo, and she did it in such a dominating fashion. Like her and right, right. Kingman she rode off the front of a pack, and in that pack you had Olympic hopefuls, and you're kind of like, ah. <laughs> I do think. I mean, to your point, I don't. Yes, I don't think a lot of people expected Summer to qualify two years ago, but she's also 100 percent proven yes. that she deserves it. She got it second came. this weekend, and she ran, clearly ran the fastest, ran like a ran through, mm-hmm. yeah. Totally. She clearly, clearly belongs there. Clearly also a medal contender. And it's yeah. like every, all the American women are medal contenders. It's problem. crazy. Yes. It's the problem. <laughs> and then Taylor Nib, to your point, I mean, yeah, a year ago, you would not have put her on the Olympic team. Now you're like, could she win a medal too? Who knows? Yeah. I do think it'll be harder for her though, because she did bike off the front uh, with Maya Kingman and they put like two and a half minutes on the pack. I don't think anyone's going to let that happen again. Like they kind of let it happen because they thought that they could run her down. Yeah. And then it turned out they couldn't um, because she put down a very solid run. Um, But I I think it'll be harder for them to do that again. Maybe they didn't expect them to get quite as far. And and I don't know, maybe it was the pack going, well, actually it's down to you American girls to pull this back. And, you know, a bit like like a pro cycling, you know, the the tour or the Giro at the moment, you let the break go. And maybe they were like, well, you guys are going to pull it back. We're going to run. We're going to save ourselves and get max points on the road. All the other countries are like, look, this isn't our problem. This is your problem. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's brutal. I mean, I was surprised that, yeah, I mean, they, the two obviously rode exceptionally well together to put in that pack. Yes, you know, there were some people missing from uh, it's the, the other thing. Yeah. You know, there, there were the three, you know, um, Vicky Holland, Georgia Taylor Brown, Jess Lymouth, you know, obviously um, Flora Duffy was missing. They are all fast swimmers and Uber bikers. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anyone else, but you know, that's only four or so. Those were the, I mean, those were the main people, people missing. Yeah, I mean, those were the main people missing. So it's also hard to say like, oh, Taylor Nib won this weekend. She can win in uh, Tokyo because all those people are also medal contenders. The Australians were missing too, most yeah. of them. Actually, gentle. Oh, yeah. Got, yeah, because of COVID. So it is a, it is going to be a different race. Um, but the big thing right now for the Americans is, <gasps> holy shit, who gets to go and to it's Tokyo? Like, heart, like the, this is what I hate, I love and I hate about the Olympics because... I think you're the same as me. We like lap up Olympic sport and just like, <laughs> it's such a high. And I, I just like, I can feel almost, or I try to pretend I can feel every emotion that those athletes are going through. <laughs> Pretending in a, as a kid growing up, I always wanted to be an Olympian. But it makes people's dreams, but it just breaks and yeah. crushes. And now like, I just, my heart goes out to... Katie and Taylor Spivey, I think they're pretty good friends as well. I don't know. Um, knowing that they're now kind of pretty much head to head in leads for that final spot and they've got to prove themselves. And it's kind of like this next, because we've had, we didn't have the races last year and now we've got this very fast condensed qualification period, period. The Olympics seems to be coming up really quickly now. And, Oh, it's just like so intense for the athletes. And, so and, and like, 
you, you know all the hard work they've put in for the last four years, then it was extended for a year, everything they've had to manage, even like the logistics of getting out to Tokyo. You saw them in the cubicles running and biking right. and everything was put in place. I know Taylor Spivey had issues with her bike going missing and she was kind of having to borrow stuff and just all of that addition. Yeah. Plus, and I know Katie wasn't even sure she was going to go because her dad died like a month ago and yeah. she had missed all this. So she was, wasn't even, you know, wasn't yeah. even sure she was going to be able to race there. So it is, it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's nuts. It will be a discretionary spot to be clear. Yeah. Um, the USAT will pick. So it doesn't, it's not it's actually not that anyone can auto. Yes. Right. Good it doesn't point. actually that anyone can auto qualify in leads. It's yes. just that I suspect they will pick after leads. Yeah. So they will wait and see who does better there i think they have to really yes. well and, and you're right you're glad for i'm glad you pulled me up on that um it isn't down to leads but it will and it will be the discretionary place but i think they would have to put it on leads or not put it make the decision after leads and see how that right. goes but oh i just oh it's the highs and lows of sport is gut-wrenching <laughs> So I mean, it's also it's also brutal. I mean, the U.S. team, brutal. women's team, and the British, the British and the British women's team are both crazy. Yeah. Uh, non Stanford isn't on the British. wasn't put on the British team. Uh-huh. And then on the men's side of the British squad, oh, <laughs> right? Like, so the British. So to be clear, the British men only have two spots right now. They're like trying to get a third spot. Like Tom Bishop yeah. is flying around the world trying to earn points. But if they only have two spots, Alistair Brownlee said he wanted it. Alistair Brownlee hasn't raced in a while. Alex Yee was fourth this weekend. He's been like, he was what, third, fourth or fifth at yeah. Hamburg Lush. Like, he's been consistently good. Who gets to go? <laughs> like, yeah. who gets to go? It's, yeah. And Alex Yee is also, he, like, he's done a lot of the mixed, mixed team relays as well mm-hmm. and, and raced pretty well in those. And, like, you know, definitely put in performances that you would, you would, you wouldn't not take him for those performances, kind of thing, if that makes sense. And, yeah, he He's was a fast runner. Yeah. He was in that front pack of four um, that broke away. You know, there's a huge male pack. Women's race, we had the two off the front. Men's race, it came together and there was like 40 of them coming into T2. Right. And it was very quickly four of them ran off the front and Alex Yee was in that. Um, whereas, you know, the other Brits kind of weren't. Um, I know they're scrabbling for points. I, I don't know the logistics of like, does two-time Olympic or not logistics? That's the wrong word. I don't know the politics in British <laughs> triathlon of does two-times Olympic champion um, automatically qualify you for a spot if you say you want it? <laughs> I think I think so. My understanding was uh, <laughs> Alistair gets to do whatever Alistair wants to do. <laughs> um, but you know, Alex is Alex. He's doing everything he can to keep his name up there, and I think I actually think his performance at the weekend was really kind of showing that he he could mix it at the at the top, um, whereas perhaps he's been sort of not considered earlier because mm-hmm. he's not as strong and the, the swim in the bike. But maybe, again, COVID, maybe it's given him that extra year that he needed. But I mean, look COVID, at- I was going to say, you know what COVID gave an extra? Morgan Pearson learned how to ride a bike in the last year and like, holy shit, got really good. Because um, the men's race... As opposed to the women's race, there weren't as many medal contenders missing. It was all yeah. the big names. Vince Louise was there. Christian Blumenfeld was there. Like, Gustav Eden was there. Like, it was all the big names. So we did really see kind of what's... And to your point, there were four off the front running. And then Morgan Pearson, the American, ran up through them yeah. and into third. And it's... 
people were shocked. Like I can tell you from like the articles I wrote on both the races to a degree, even though Taylor Nib seems like she came out of nowhere, she had these junior titles. She had these U23 titles. Morgan Pearson started triathlon three years ago. Like <laughs> people, I can tell you what the, like what the reaction we were getting. People were like, who is this? What is happening right now? <laughs> but I can also tell you, I see him at the pool all the time. And it is not like he was always ready to make like a, a breakthrough, right? A yeah. uh, thing, yeah. And and you know, and I think the dynamics, the dynamics of the men's race probably helped from that because when you've got a pack of forty coming through, I, I'm going to make dumb down this completely, and like people are going to ca- hate me for it. But it's very easier. It's very easy. I can't even speak English. It is easier <laughs> to sit in a pack of forty riders to get round that course and then have that run legs. And we know Morgan Pearson is a runner, so maybe. Mm-hmm. And I think. I am going to say that, yes, all the big names were there in the men's race, but because they've probably all qualified, maybe they're not in peak shape for this race because they are timing it because they know they are going to perform at the Olympics and that's what counts for them. So, you know, I think Vincent Louis, I think it was probably the most off race I've seen. Yes. Him. You yes. know, he's been so dominant in the last past few years in every race he's stepped onto. Um, and maybe he was caught up in the stress with Taylor Spivey and and, and her bike and stuff because obviously they're, they're partners. But I think also maybe his goal is to, when are we, what, two months down, three months down the line? I was, I was yeah, I was thinking that too because kind of all the people you saw have breakthroughs this weekend were, well, one, they actually were all out of this one squad based in Boulder, which like people don't realize because you don't know who's teammates. Yeah. But two, there were all these up-and-comers, whereas the dominant, like the people who are the world champions, I was maybe they aren't weren't peaking to qualify. Maybe they're peaking to yeah. medal, right? So you just don't know yet, like what's what's going to happen. The, the only yeah. one I would say which was different to that was Blumenfeld because I think yeah. he's probably like in that medal contender at the Olympics, and he, he and he took the win. But I, I I agree with you. I think the rest of them were those up and comers that have had the extra year or knew that this was their Olympic Games kind of thing, and they had to they had to perform in in Yokohama to get any chance of going. And I do think, uh, I do think though, Morgan Pearson has a medal shot Uh, and the U S men haven't had a medal shot in a long time. I think he's going to Gwen Jorgensen, everyone. Uh, Maybe not, you know, like eventually, maybe not this year, but ultimately like he's going to be pretty dominant. I I saw some tweet because what's his half marathon time standalone? 102. Yes. He ran a 102. (laughs) Ridiculous. (laughs) that's like that's like my 10k is that that's like a 10k yeah, crazy. <laughs> crazy. So. these guys i mean like the top five men went sub 30 on that 10k the women were like i think kind of mostly sort of around that 35 sub 35 um mark i mean that mm-hmm. men's run was just ridiculous uh, uh, yeah so and i think i mean you and i were talking before i think it's hard sometimes for viewers I mean, they didn't even talk about paces during the race. Like the commenters never mentioned what pace they were running. And so I think it's hard sometimes for viewers to realize like how fast they're going in the swim. I definitely have had people tell, like people who are good swimmers, right? Tell me like, oh yeah, I could, I could stick in the pack. I'm like, no, you couldn't. (laughs) I'm a decent swimmer and I would be four minutes off that pack. Okay. Like I don't think people really understand how hard ITU racing is. No. No, And and it's, it's 
I mean, it's full gas racing. It's brutal. Like, mind you, you were saying that about St. George the week. I was brutal in the water as well. Um, but it's tactical. It's close. Mm-hmm. It's close fighting. It's not like just set your own pace in the pool and, no. and go or set your own pace on the bike. And yeah, you can put out a 40K time trial. It's, you know, it's, can you handle the bike in the corners? Can you, the constant like acceleration and it's a totally different style of racing. And I mean, I don't think I really, when you're watching it and you're watching the coverage, I mean, I don't think I really realize how fast, because they make it look so easy and they, they often make it look like not effortless, but it, their form is amazing and they just look like it's flowing. And then you're like looking at the clock and you're going like, holy, what's it? And right. You compare that to your run that you did the other day and you went, yeah, right. I'm going to get back in my box <laughs> and sit back and applaud them and give them a lot of respect and never go in a race with them. And hopefully. No, no. I mean, yeah. They don't, they don't move up to half distance or full distance. <laughs> I mean, that's really your clue. When somebody who is like a middle of the pack ITU swimmer comes up to 70.3, they are first out of the water by three or four minutes every time. <laughs> like, So yes. that's your clue on how fast. The front I, mean, I think I think we saw that a little bit. Um, um, oh gosh, name Sarah Perez Sala, who oh, yeah, yeah. Um, raced in Daytona and then I think uh, Gran Canaria. Like, and she was, um, yeah, I, I think sort of probably in the IT or World Triathlon series, but then was like out the water with Lucy. Although then we, you know, we saw we did see that comparison of. Although Lucy Charles is a Barkley is a little bit of an anomaly compared with swimming for the rest of the women, yes. but we saw her match up in Super League a little bit, uh, and then we've seen her match up against actual swimmers, um, and she does both fairly well. But that would be specifically as Lucy is a swimmer. <laughs> the rest of us, it's not going to match up. <laughs> no, no, it is crazy though. Um... I also kind of wish more people got to do draft legal racing so they could just understand how intense it is, how crazy it is, uh, how much like tactics and handling is required. So, so I think people particularly on like the bike and the, the bike handling specifically, I don't think we give enough credit for like, if you think you've got a pack of riders and you are, on a real technical course with lots of corners and you're at the back of that, like you're just yo-yoing in speed and pace and that power Mm -hmm. input and those spikes coming out of those corners. I mean, that, that trashes your leg and then you've got to come off and run a, you know, a sub 30, 30 or a sub 33, 10 K off the back of that and add in some humidity and heat. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's intense. It's also just, uh, like, I'm not a terrible bike. I mean, I'm terrible right now at bike handling, but I'm not terrible. And I did, like, an easy ride with Laura Duffy one time, and every turn, she was suddenly, like, 10 feet ahead of me, and I would have to go really hard to catch back on. So there's, all there's like, that whole element to it. And you're like, well, shit. <laughs> so on the other end of the spectrum, though, we do have Ironman Tulsa. So as opposed to, you know, an hour 40 race, a <laughs> nine-hour race, uh, this weekend, North American Championships, First of the regional championships for the year. And the list is super long again. It's like 60 something guys, 40 something women. I mean, you were looking at it before this, but it is all the, I think you said the top eight guys all have their Kona spots already. So. Yeah. I'm not, yeah. Not sure on the guys, but the top, well, there are eight women already with Kona spots. So if they effectively finished one to eight, obviously that's a math. And, And the number of spots, it's two, two, two for the women, two for the men and then two unassigned slots. So 
I mean, they're probably going to go to the men, but you've still got two slots, which if you finishing top 10, you've got a pretty damn good chance of getting, of getting one of those slots for Kona. Cause, but that's the way we are with racing. It seems weird again, that it's like North American championships, but we haven't had any other kind of full distances. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I don't think there's been there was obviously Ironman Florida in December, yeah. but that was the last full distance we had here. And to your you and I were looking at the kind of the pro start list, and it's like it's weird, you know, there's 60 something men lined up for Ironman Tulsa, all these big names, and then no one's lined up for Ironman UK. But I think it's still just one of those COVID travel things. There's all these people where they're in the US, kind of stuck in the US, like not stuck, but they're not you can't, it's hard to leave or come back. There aren't that many races in the US to date. So you're kind of like, Oh, well, like everyone's going to do whatever one there is. Um, everyone's kind of stuck wherever they're stuck and doing whatever races are there. Yeah. And I, th- and I think the UK and Europe has still just been like, they're still just, oh, I don't know what, how you call it, demoralized by, by struggling, yeah. struggling and vaccines. And like, you know, people aren't really back yet to full training. Well, most of the pros are, I will say, but it's still hard with facilities and then the travel restrictions and the UK just announced like a, a traffic light system, but a lot of the European countries are still on like Amber, which means they're still quarantining mm. when you get to the UK. So maybe that's putting people off. I think maybe it's just also there's less certainty that those UK and European races are races are still going to happen, whereas it feels like the US have kind of got things together from they've the decided it's over. and they're just gonna go carry on yeah yeah i don't know if they've got it together but they decided it's over i might retract that <laughs> might not be that they've got it together but they seem to be putting races on and there's a confidence that yeah. there will be races whereas i just think you the europe europe side of things and athletes it's just not there yet sadly yeah and it's not in in canada either um Sorry, my phone started ringing. This is the beauty of working from home, right? Uh, in Canada, either, there aren't races yet. And so even though, you know, we have North America, it's hard to get across that border. So you still are still very confined. You know, this North American championship is still going to be heavily confined to Ameri- to U.S. athletes and people who are in the U.S. Um, and going back to that, um, I think there are quite a few Brits actually racing in Tulsa this weekend. Mm-hmm. But they that's because they planned this quite a few months ago and right. they've been out there for they came out for St. George or they came out for some of those early 70.3 races and so they've stayed out there because it's a great it's probably more open to be able to train and so I think I've heard a few of them say well yeah we would have done Ironman UK if they'd announced it like right. several months ago but because it was quite late on I think it was announced after Frankfurt got moved because that's the same weekend so then you know, a lot of the athletes have already got plans. They're already in build-up phases. They're already in the States, perhaps. And it's then just hard to to go back. And, and no, Bolton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people did come over uh, to the U.S. kind of for a block. Like, you have yeah. Daniela has been in Sedona for, like, two or three weeks now yeah. training and is going to be in Tulsa. Um, I have a number of people like that. So, so I'm – but – They'll get lovely weather. I do hear it's storming <laughs> all week in Tulsa. So, <laughs> yeah, it's less like as long as that storm doesn't mean that it's like it's too bad and we have to cancel the swim or something, or we have to shorten the bike, or we have to. It's like, can we not just get a break in a race so far? <laughs> like, <laughs> Dude, doing an Ironman in like rainstorms is pretty miserable. Yeah, just gotta throw that out there. <laughs> 
totally I remember I think I touch what I don't I'm trying to think if I've done one in torrential weather I've done one in very cold rainy weather but only a half but I remember seeing pictures of like I think it was Ironman New Zealand several years ago and it just rained all day and there were people walking on running in space blankets that I mean like full respect it's pretty miserable for that long so you're like yay yeah. racing's back racing Ironman season's back <laughs> <laughs> And here's me complaining about the wind in Lanzarote. I'm not going to complain ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, racing is back and we have a lot of things coming up. So we will be, you know, paying attention and everyone should watch this weekend, watch the Leeds uh, World Triathlon race June 5th. It's going to be pretty exciting. So. All right, this week we're talking to Matt Hansen, five-time Ironman champion. I believe you have the fastest ever time for a branded Ironman, right? 739, is that right? Uh, yes. <laughs> okay, and with that, was that in Ironman Brazil? Is that where everybody does their no, fastest? No, it was in now? Ironman Texas. Oh, okay. Yep. And you also have the fastest marathon, which was, uh, what was it, 230? 234. 234. All right. But when I was looking on this up, Matt, I gotta say, I saw that I'm supposed to be referring to you as Dr. Matt Hansen. Is that right? Are you really? (laughs) I am a doctor, but Matt's fine. (laughs) So you have your doctorate in exercise physiology, and I understand you quit to become a pro triathlete right before tenure, right? So yeah, I was a professor of exercise science and, um, uh, yeah, I was basically never planned this life, but it, uh, it kind of fell in my lap and I wanted to be able to look back and wonder or know rather than look back and wonder what if. And so, um, yeah, basically right after getting through review. Um, so I just had to put in the time um, from that point on. I, I walked away after uh, winning Ironman Texas in 2015. Why? Uh, why not like lock in the tenure and then become a pro triathlete? You could just, you know, call it like phone it in with your students. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't, that's not <laughs> who I want to be. Um, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I needed to be able to travel quite a bit. I was living in Storm Lake, Iowa, and, um, you know, that was the hardest part was, like, the, the really the deciding factor was after I won Ironman Texas in 15, uh, I, you know, so after the night of an Ironman, you don't get any sleep. You go, you know, when you win, you go back and you give the awards for the last hour, last hour or whatever. So I was out and about until, you know, one o'clock in the morning and then just couldn't sleep at all. And then back in the pool at 6am to kind of just flush out the body, gave the award speech and then drove 17 and a half hours to get back home and went straight to the school uh, and showered and changed there. I didn't have time to go home. And then I taught eight, nine, 10 and 11 o'clock classes and just like, you know, I can't keep performing at the way that I want and, uh, you know, not taking care of myself, you know, um, you can get away with that for a few days when you're young and stupid, but, um, for the long-term, uh, success in the sport, I felt like that's where I needed to be. Yeah. I would, uh, I can't even imagine doing that right after an Ironman. I can't imagine those were like your best ever eight, nine and 10 AM lectures. Dynamite lectures. Dynamite. <laughs> so you actually Might started triathlon. Try- <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say so you actually started triathlon in like 2011, right? Um, 
And you were a wrestler, like a runner before that. And I understand you had it on a list from when you were a kid that you had to do an Ironman, right? Yeah. Uh, through wrestling, I had a lot of good mentors. And one of them uh, actually um, challenged me to make a list of 50 goals for the next 10 years. And so I took that list very, fairly important. I am. Um, and uh kept that list piece of paper in my pocket for 10 years. And so I would just kind of look at it periodically. And, um, you know, at, with one year to go, I looked at it and I said, well, I can still do this Ironman thing, but I need to sign up now because that was back when they tended to uh, sell out right away, uh, like a year in advance. And then, you know, I was in grad school at the time, uh, hadn't swam. Um, so, you know, kind of had to buy a bike off eBay, um, learn how to swim again. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, probably eat nothing but ramen and pop tarts and uh, canned soup for a couple months. So I could afford this $500 bike that I just bought off of eBay. But you did it. You did Ironman Coeur d'Alene. I did. I got through it and, uh, yeah, I planned on being a one and done, uh, <laughs> but ended up, uh, qualifying for Kona at Coeur d'Alene and, um, yeah, and then uh, went to Kona that year, and that's really when I fell in love with the sport. Was leaving the Big Island. I thought, you know, man, I I have more that I can do. I thought, you know, I could. Um, I found my lifelong hobby, and you know, didn't think at that point that I'd found my uh, new career. But uh, that's kind of what it morphed into. <laughs> How'd you end up qualifying for Kona if you uh on your rent on your you know five hundred dollar bike and just learned how to swim? Uh, I ran a three flat. Uh, <laughs> that'll do so, it right <laughs> yeah i think you know as per usual i was probably in like 30th place off the off the bike and and uh put together a pretty good run got it okay okay what else was on that list so do an iron man was on the list what else was on the list uh a lot of them were wrestling related um you know so i was able to get some of them some of them i didn't um you know uh a lot of them were um academics related as well, um, which I was able to accomplish a lot of those. Um, and then, you know, some, you, you know, when you're 16 and writing a, a list of goals for the next 10 years, you know, some of the things that you come up with are, are kind of like, one of them was to be debt free by 25. And like that, well, that ship sailed. <laughs> uh, you know, another was, uh, it, and by the time I was, so doing an Ironman was literally one of those, I'm really running out of things to put down here. Um, you know, I, I, it, it, the, I think it was number 48 on the list and, you know, I, I just needed to get the list done because, you know, it, I, I needed to show my, you know, show the guy the next day. And, and so I was just like, what else can I put? And I had seen it on TV once, never knew anybody that had done it. Um, or, you know, didn't know anybody that trained regularly. So I knew nothing about the sport and I really knew nothing about the sport going into the race either. Um, and, you know, the Crowley won that day and I was talking, you know, we were sitting at the same kind of recovery picnic table, whatever, afterwards eating, uh, some recovery food or whatever. And, uh, I had no idea who I was talking to, like, you know, it just, like, oh, you're like oh how'd it go for you yeah yeah. Okay, yeah um you know it was just so you know so ignorant to the sport but um it grew on me interesting that's crazy yeah uh i can't imagine um one running a three-hour marathon in my first iron man or, or uh or yeah or just like you know how much it, it you obviously went from there right because two years later you went pro 
pretty much. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so you mentioned obviously your win. So two years later, you went pro. You mentioned your win in 2015 at at uh, Ironman Texas. How did you kind of progress from I'm going to do this thing because it's on my list and I just put it on my list to you know winning Ironman Texas uh, as a professional? So. Yeah. So year two, I just did a couple 70.3s and, you know, I, I wanted to learn more about the sport and, and uh, kind of respect the process a little bit more. Jumping into uh, an Ironman on the, the first one is not probably the, the best way to go about it. And so, uh, yeah, did some 70.3s and really tried to just learn as much as I could and, and work on getting a little bit faster and, you know, started to learn to try to swim a little bit better because I knew that was a limiter for me. And then um, came back, um, I guess it would have been 2013, and uh, qualified for, the goal for the year was just to earn the pro card. Mm -hmm. uh, I never planned on taking it. And I ended up qualifying for uh, Kona and then earning the that card in uh, at Ironman Texas that year. Um, and then went to Kona with the goal of being the overall age group winner and uh, ended up with three flat tires, unfortunately. And so I was sitting in a really good spot on the bike at the top of Javi and got to the turnaround. And right when I turned around, the, uh, I must have hit something because both the front and the back went flat at the turnaround. And then, um, I don't know, like 20 miles later, I got another one. So I, I waited about way too long uh, after that <laughs> for somebody to come and give me another tube and got to the finish line. But I, I kind of uh, took my pro card as a revenge race so I could go revenge race and and uh, race at Air Arizona afterwards. That was the only way I could still race that year. <laughs> okay. So that's why I decided to take the pro card. Um, yeah. So I think I was 18th out of, you know, the 50 people that, and I was on cloud nine. I had a uh, you know, big PR and I wasn't last. So I wasn't embarrassed about, you know, being in the, you know, bigger field or the, you know, the pro field. And then, um, yeah, just came back the next year and, you know, thought I would just keep the pro card and, and be able to be a little bit more flexible with the racing schedule and, uh, maybe save a little bit along the way. Um, not having to pay, um, you, know, you just buy the license at the beginning of the year, you don't have to pay the entry fee and, um, ended up, at uh, getting a, the first, I guess, pro paycheck at, at Ironman Texas that year. And then in 14, I are, yeah, then later that year, I won um, one quarter, or no, I, sorry, I won Chattanooga. <laughs> I went to, uh, I did five Ironmans that year, which was just not really. Small. Yeah, I did Texas, mm -hmm. Coeur d'Alene, Wisconsin, um, and then uh, ended up winning Chattanooga. And then so you were like really trying to get your money's worth on your license fee for the year. Uh, yeah, well, we can say that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, really, I was just trying to learn as much as I could. Right. Because there, I was so, like, at the start of the race, I wouldn't see anybody until the end of the end of the bike. And then I would start, you know, I think out of those races, uh, like a 246 was my slowest marathon. But I was still, you know, you know, I'd crack the top um, five. I was fifth, I think, at Coeur d'Alene. And then um, fourth at Wisconsin, and then ended up winning Chattanooga. So it was just just learning as much as I could. And, you know, so the you were really still like struggling for like you were behind for the swim and just having to make it up yeah, the whole time. Yeah, yeah, just didn't know how to manage the swim start was a lot mm -hmm. of that. That's still something that I'm <laughs> always trying to get better at. But yeah, you know, I was working with a swim specific coach at the time, and we we're just really trying to to figure that that situation out and uh, 
you know, the, the more opportunity to race, the better, uh, the more you can learn. And so that's the approach I took. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do revenge race Arizona after a bad Kona. It definitely happens. Not many then like make it into a career. So yeah, uh, that, yeah, definitely, uh, changed, uh, the, the way that I approach the sport. That's for sure. So obviously you told us after you won Texas was when you were like, all right, I gotta, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't be teaching classes after staying up for two days. Um, how at that point did you go and just say like, I'm quitting? Like how much did you have a plan? Yeah. So, I mean, two days later I was, I remember specifically sitting with a student and I was, um, talking with them about trying to set up their summer internship. Um, they were a junior and I'm like, you know, this is going to help you build your resume. Uh, so you can go after exactly what it is you wanted most in life. And then I sat back and I'm like, wow, I'm kind of being a hypocrite here. Um, cause I love teaching. I didn't really like the politics and, you know, could have give or take the grading, but I, I enjoyed the teaching part of it. And, um, so, you know, I, I, but, you know, I, I, my heart was in triathlon at that point. And so, um, yeah, I, I, talked to the dean and and um we kind of transitioned out i i taught um a few i was in charge of the the human performance program and really the only instructor there uh that was um full-time in the program and so basically was teaching the entire curriculum and so uh we kind of phased me out over 16 i taught a little bit a couple classes um adjunct and then by 17 i was out of the classroom full-time hmm. i was about to ask what exactly a professor of exercise physiology does studies what were your lectures on yeah so i i was um exercise science uh, mm -hmm. in general i wasn't uh, we, we yeah i wasn't a, a exercise physiologist okay. by any means um we were we buena vista was a very small school and so um we, we definitely didn't have enough for a you know that specific of a of a major um but yeah it was really prepping students to go on um, you know, some would go straight into like personal training or something like that, but, but a majority of them, the goal was to be, um, you know, be a feeder for uh, chiropractic, pre-PT, or a physical therapy school, occupational therapy, um, or um, to go and like get a master's in strength and conditioning. We had a pretty mm -hmm. big athletic training program, uh, education program. That's where I started and got my uh, undergrad, um, was at that same university I was teaching at. And uh, so taught a few classes in that. And obviously, most of those uh, students went on and started to work on masters in, in athletic training as well. What was your, I mean, if you got a PhD, you had to do a whole thing, right? What was your topic? Yeah, and my master's thesis was on the hamstring uh, and different warm up, uh, how different warm up uh, practices affected hamstring range of motion. And then my doctorate, I kind of went more of the, or my, uh, dissertation, I kind of went more the public health route and studied health promotion programs and what, um, you know, what universities are offering for their faculty and staff and, and, uh, tried to make recommendations based on that. Okay. Do you ever, uh, well, one, do you use the research that you did like ever, like in your training a lot now? Does it come up? Do you feel like when you get injured too, like, man, I should know better. I'm like the smartest guy here. <laughs> uh, kind of a timely question after St. George. <laughs> Had a little bit of a setback uh, during the race there, unfortunately. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's good and bad. Um, 
you know, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times I, you know, from the, on the injury part of it, it's, you know, I think that I, I know exactly what's going on and, you know, there's a reason why doctors shouldn't treat themselves. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I've got a good team behind me, um, uh, and, and they keep me honest at least and, and, uh, at least make me talk about it, even though I don't want to. Um, on the training side of it, though, um, I actually, you know, the reason why I coach and started the coaching business is um, primarily so I don't have to think about my own coaching. Um, okay. So I have coached Julie co and Coach Matt um, to do, to set my program. I don't know what I have to do tomorrow. I don't have a clue. I'll wake really? up and figure it out. Um, I like to just tick the boxes, communicate with them how I need to. My job as an athlete is executing workouts and providing feedback. And my job as a coach is, is the planning process. And for me, I just, you know, I, I don't want to be sitting in the middle of a workout thinking, you know, maybe I should have done this differently or, you know, um, you know, certainly, you know, that, you know, I, I, yeah, I've never really tried to self coach. Um, I don't think the way that my brain works, um, I guess I did for, for a two month period and it, it yeah, I w I was just staying up too much at night, like thinking about it. And to, you know, obviously when I first started with, with Julie, um, there was, uh, it took a while, um, to get to the point where I'm at now. I, w I didn't just like put full trust in, in the process right away. Um, but she's earned it and Matt's earned it. And so like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a point where like, you know, if I'm doing my job as an athlete, talking to them, communicating with them about, you know, what's going on during races, how my body's feeling, uh, then I trust that they're going to get me ready. Um, and yeah, so that that's the process that uh, is leading to a, the best work life balance right now. I can literally shut triathlon off for a few hours a day um, with with this approach where before I was just constantly concerned and thinking about it. I'm so when you say that you don't even know what you're doing tomorrow, this is like freaking me out. What do you like? You're going to wake up in the morning. Do you know if it's going to be a hard day or an easy day? Do you know if, how do you make swim appointments in this era? I don't have to anymore. <laughs> uh, we're in uh, in uh, Castle Rock. We just opened up. Um, so I can just go to the gym whenever I want. And and uh, so we're, we're good to go there. Uh, and and then two weeks, uh, a outdoor pool will open up literally a block away from my house. Um, that is just, yeah, you just show up and you can, they don't, you, you there won't be lane lines, but you can swim anytime. Um, you know, I've, I've got a routine, like, you know, a typical, you know, Mondays are a typical Monday. Right. And so, right. um, I don't know what exactly the workouts will do, but I, you know, it will be exactly, but I know that tomorrow I'm going to ride. Um, no idea how far, how long I'll, maybe look at that tonight before I go to bed. So I know how late I can stay up. Um, but yeah, um, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays I've been going up to Boulder. Um, and so it's, you know, the, the structure is, is gonna, or, you know, I know what workouts I'm going to do, or I know what activities I'm going to do, but not what the workout is going to be. Does it ever, cause it would stress me out if I was like thinking, okay, today's going to be an easy day. Like that's where I would expect. And then it was a really hard day. I would, how do you deal with that? Um, so <laughs> if I had my way, I would never have an easy day. Like I just, <laughs> I don't sleep well at night. Um, I, I like to get to the end of the day exhausted, I guess. And I certainly understand the reason for it and that, you know, we have them, but 
uh, I, I, I'm typically uh, would be pushing coaches to go more. So yeah, I guess that part doesn't, uh, doesn't get, get at me too much. Okay. All right. And you said, uh, obviously it took a while to build trust and stuff. And I'm assuming also, you know, with your background and everything, like, you know, a lot about this, right? Like, and the people who know a lot have a lot of feedback and like, why are we doing this? Why don't we do that? Um, how'd you kind of like, how do you kind of work through that? I'm sure you have preferences, opinions, things you think you should be doing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of it was coach Julie does a great job of, um, you know, getting out and being with her athletes whenever you can. Like I was living in Iowa, but I would come out here for, you know, a week or, you know, maybe two weeks during the summer, um, out to Colorado and just be able to ride with her and, and, you know, have her on deck. Um, and, you know, a lot of that kind of trust happened, you know, when you've got a five hour ride together and, you know, easy ride and you're just chatting together and you kind of learn the process and, and then, you know, it also, the success brings, um, you know, success brings trust a lot of times and it doesn't have to be yours. She's got a great squad of athletes. And, you know, there was, uh, right when I started, um, like maybe, yeah, maybe it was the beginning of 17, you know, like Tim Don was winning everything. And early on, I had a really good start to the season, you know, had won, you know, Tim Don had, had a great, uh, Brazil that year. I think he he went 740 or something like that in Brazil and then I won Ironman Texas and he was just everybody was just like so confident in the preparation we had because everybody was performing so well that like it just yeah the the squad approach when when it's going really well it, it you know kind of snowballs which was a lot of fun and that makes me feel like well, what happens when it goes badly right <laughs> like you know, thankfully, we haven't had to experience that too much yet. You know, it's someone's you know, obviously people kind of have rough spells, but, sure. uh, you know, that, yeah, it, it, we've got a good group and, and, uh, it's been, it's been fun. What is the, out of all the different like research you did kind of in academia, what was your favorite or most interesting thing that you researched in, in exercise science? Yeah. I mean, the, the, way I started working with Normatech and now Hyperice was doing, uh, I approached them as an age group triathlete and like, I can, I don't have a social media following. I, I'm an athlete, but what I do have is access to students and a lab. And so I, I started, you know, kind of working with them as, um, you know, doing some research for them on, and, um, that's how I was able to get a Normic tech for me to use personally was <laughs> I would just sit and use it in the lab. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that kind of, uh, was, I was able to springboard that into a kind of a longer term partnership when I went pro and started having some success and, you know, being able to talk about that product specifically in ways that a lot of the other athletes can't has kind of helped, uh, hmm. distinguish me, you know, they have a ton of high quality athletes that they work with. But, um, you know, that's been kind of one of the, the most fun, um, things. And, you know, first endurance has been the same way. Um, I was doing some writing for them, um, even before I had turned pro or right as I had turned pro in, uh, and, uh, was able to help do some product design and things like that. Um, and, you know, help with our white papers on a couple of their pro products and, you know, then to be using those products when you're racing is pretty cool. So you put Normatex on a bunch of students to see if they worked. It's pretty much right here. Yeah, okay. I, I uh, looked at it more from a warm up perspective than than yeah. that. That was a hole in the research, and so yeah. Huh. 
And we I'm also still just... working with, with them. So obviously I've got positive results. <laughs> I've never heard of it used for a warm up before. That's interesting. Oh yeah. That, I mean, that's huh. what I use it for primarily is, you know, when, when training blocks get big, I'll have morning coffee and uh, sit and sit in the Normatex before heading to the pool and just helps <laughs> kind of helps the body wake up a little bit. We also just ran a story. Obviously, uh, you're one of the fastest runners in the sport right now, for sure. And we just ran a story about you heel strike. Oh, no. I know. Oh, no. It's terrible. I, I hear uh, that a lot on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, you talked about, uh, kind of about why that's actually not bad. Yeah. I, it's I kind mean, of funny. It, it's a little bit... You know, frustrating on on a couple levels you know obviously when you know i'm i you know earlier on when you know i probably had a little thinner skin uh and you know people you know i would like you just ran a a fast marathon and people like you know post a picture and first thing people like oh my gosh you heel strike you need to change that and and uh you know now the frustrating part is like that that shows the the education of you know a lot of the athletes and you know some of the coaches out there that if that's the first thing that they're they're looking for in in, you know when they're doing a run form analysis like we're really missing the boat here and and um so that you know the the frustration now is kind of more more like now i just kind of laugh like if when when i hear that 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 kind of gives me an insight into uh the level of uh of background that of the person i'm talking talking with and and um you know, so now it's, it's more like the frustration is, um, how do we, how do we change the education side of it? So, you know, we get this stigma or this, you know, we, we can't put every, uh, you know, runner in the exact same box. And the, the, um, analogy that was given to me, um, a number of years ago was you wouldn't try to teach a albatross to fly like a hummingbird. So why do we all try to run the same way? And that's always stuck with me. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Kipchoge has a beautiful running style, um, but we're not all five, six and 110 pounds or 115 pounds. Right. So, um, we, we've got to find the, the style that keeps us fastest and healthiest. And, uh, and, you know, a run form analysis that starts from the feet up is not the right way to do it. Okay. What is the right way to do it? I, any run form analysis has to start with the hips, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to control your center of gravity and, and you can heel strike, Heel striking is bad when your center of gravity gets out of line. Uh, it, but if your center of gravity stays, you know, in a good spot being throughout the entire process, it doesn't matter what hit, what hits the, the um, ground at, at first. Um, yeah, that's that's your, that's your quick summary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so run run form analysis should start at the hips and go up and down from there. Okay. Hips, All right. And feet. Yeah. I know you have done like some biomechanical analysis of yourself though, and certainly uh, had injuries, right? What did you kind of find for yourself? Yeah. I mean, my, the, the first real injury that I had, um, was a, a sacral stress fracture. Um, and, uh, that was obviously related to running, but what, what the root cause of that was, was a tight hip flexor. And so I mm. was not getting the elastic recoil that on the, on the, right side that I was on the left and, and my, uh, iliopsoas was just permanently locked to the point where I would come to tears. If I would sneeze, it was that tight. Uh, and I just kept fighting through it again, the whole, like, you know, doctors shouldn't treat themselves. You know, it's just, 
I just kept pushing through it and, you know, saying, you know, I would leave comments like, yeah, I just feel like I'm forcing it and feel like I'm forcing it, but I was still running well. Um, and yeah. And so that was the, the biggest or the only real run related injury that I've had, um, so far, uh, as a result of at least overdoing things. Um, and, and that was, you know, it showed up in, in the sacrum, but it was definitely a problem in the iliopsoas region. Uh, you mentioned earlier that you uh, something you did something at St. George. What did you do at St. George? Uh, I had the best swim of my career, probably, and then proceeded out of T1. And I, I my guess is what happened was um, the person who was right in front of me and next to me, they hit my derailleur when uh they were taking their bike off the rack um because i jumped on and started to pedal and there was my chain was completely locked and so i went up and over the handlebars um yeah and so kind of blew the best swim you know i finally put myself in a good position out of the water uh and uh and yeah kind of it all came crashing down but uh ended up you know fighting through the bike and and the the run, I, I still ran okay. I mean, I, I ran a 111 um, flat pretty much, um, but my knee started to really click. And uh, the second I stopped, it swelled up like a balloon. And and uh, yeah, so we're we're getting that taken care of now. Okay, all right. Um, I feel like every like anyone, no, everyone has something start to hurt at the run course on St. George, right? Because you're it's like three yeah. miles downhill at the end, so you're kind of like. Eh. Mine, mine hurt a heck of a lot more going uphill um, than down. Like, I kept on hearing this clicking, and and I'm like, what is going on? And and I thought it was my bib rub, like rubbing against my thigh. And so I moved it to the back, and it just kept on getting louder. And then, my, oh, that's my knee. Oh, no. that's good. <laughs> and yeah, going uphill, like it was, I you have to have more of a knee drive, and so that that was quite painful. But you know, I was able to get through it. But man, as soon as I stopped, I could, yeah. It was not fun. It's not good. I heard uh, that you pre-race go and sit in a quiet place and like spend like 20 minutes by yourself. Is that is that right? I try to. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's usually the case. Where? How do you, I mean, because, I mean, it's been a long time for a lot of us racing, but at St. George, I was like, this is a lot of people. Like, where do you yeah. go and find a, a nice spot? Yeah, I wasn't able to do that at St. George. I mean, now with the COVID protocols, it, it makes it a lot harder because getting in and out takes twice as much time and they're taking everybody's temperature, so on and so forth. And so, um, yeah, this, you know, the last number of races, it's been pretty difficult to do that, but uh, you just kind of have to find uh when you know actually in st george they gave us almost they gave us 14 minutes in the yeah. water not 15 but 14 to warm up and so uh, you i was able to just you know at least get a couple minutes where i just go swim to a place where no one else was and just have have a have a moment you know i'm sure everybody that looks at you just assumes you're peeing but yes <laughs> so what do you i mean so you did st george you did did you do you did miami right back in I did the, miami you uh, did daytona so yeah daytona miami and then um galveston mm. and florida uh Hain city oh so you've done all of the races that have had like i was that's pretty much every race that's happened in the u.s yeah i <laughs> mean i yeah I, and yeah i did everything that i possibly could um straight you know as soon as things opened up um that yeah that's that's what i needed to do uh 
coming out of the lockdown or coming out of, of everything for a number of different reasons. I just needed to get back on a start line and, um, and then, yeah, I was able to do Ironman Florida, get my Kona slot taken care of, and then, um, had a good day in Daytona. And then, yeah, I got these early season races was, uh, this year is really about the fall. Um, every other year, I feel like I've peaked in, uh, April and May, um, always had my best racing early on. And so, uh, last year that obviously there was no racing in April and May. And so that changed things a little bit and I had a different schedule and then, you know, I had a pretty good race at, uh, Ironman Florida and then had a pretty good race at Daytona. And so like, we're trying to shift things a little bit. And so this year I'm not planning on doing an Ironman until hmm. Kona, um, since I got the slot early at Florida. So, um, I'm actually going to Tulsa uh, next week to uh, Sherpa for my wife. She's doing Ironman Tulsa. And uh, yeah, that's that'll be the only uh, Ironman experience or full Ironman experience I have, hopefully, before Kona. Yeah, I mean, it seemed to work, right? Because you had a Daytona. I mean, you said you had a good day, but let's be clear. Like, it was a very, like, you ran up through everybody, ended up second and won. I don't know how much money it ended up being. What, $70,000, $800,000, something like that? 70, yeah. Yeah. And yep. it was, and I, there was a lot of people who, when you came up on them running past it, didn't know, like thought you were left behind, right? Like a lot of people were like, where did he come from? Like what's happening? Yeah. 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 I mean, it was, it was such a weird dynamic of a race because so many of us had never raced each other, um, right. right? The ITU guys, you know, it was a shorter than a 70.3 and, you know, there are a lot of ITU guys there and then there's a lot of international field as well. And so you know, scouting was a little bit harder to do. Uh, and, you know, there was a lot of unknowns with how, you know, the 20 meter draft was going to play, you know, shake things out and how, um, you know, the ITU guys who typically are able to ride sitting up, how they would handle a, a course that allows you no breaks out of arrow. Um, and yeah, so it was just so many unknowns. And, and so going into the race, it was just like 100% process race. You know, we can let the dynamics sort themselves out at the end and uh, just go and execute and you know that was probably one of the better executed days you know i was right on my power targets and you know some guy you know like lionel and sam went by me earlier on and obviously you know i couldn't have gone they were riding harder than i should have been <laughs> and could have for a long time but i could have possibly gone with them long enough to get to the next group but you know i didn't even try um just kind of stuck to my numbers and and hope that i would be able to see him again on the run and you know was just long enough so i i caught some of them at least i mean it was pretty funny it was or it was pretty funny watching because there was a point where you went by a whole group and somebody was like hey what lap are you on and you like waited until you were like just past them to tell them oh no i'm passing you <laughs> yeah yeah i i'm yeah <laughs> i wasn't gonna give, give them you know, i didn't want them to fight too much <laughs> i was <Right>. tired <laughs> exactly but that does bode to your point though i mean if you're changing things up to kind of reflect that like that does bode well for the fall because you have had a number of conas that have gone bad right you had a flat you had a mechanical crash you had gi issue like what you lost 20 pounds on the run and then this last one you had an injury so it's a lot of conas that have been rough yeah i've not i've <laughs> unfortunately the only kona that i've left uh feeling good about my day was was in 2011 when i knew nothing about the you know very little about the sport and what I, what was going on and that that's the the probably the only time that i feel like i've somewhat come close to 
to doing what I was capable on on the day. And um, I've gotten a lot of things wrong. I've you know I've, I've come in a little bit too tired. Um, I've you know gotten myself sick a couple times beforehand, probably because just doing a bit too much. Um, that was you know one year, and then had a crash one year on on some bad equipment, unfortunately, and then uh, um, yeah, and then got got injured. So um, that that's the one that's been getting away so far. But we're gonna change that. Okay, this year. So Kona is like the focus this year then. Yeah, I mean, Kona has got to be the focus for, especially in the American Pro. Um, that's where uh, sponsors want you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's an American hasn't won it in a long time. And True. so when, when the next one that does it is is uh, going to be rewarded, I think. And and so, yeah, the, the goals are there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, T.O. was second last year, but yeah, there are a lot of Americans who, yeah. who want to be the one to win it, for sure. T.O. and Ben have been second. Um, was, yeah, so there's... Well, how yeah. are you factoring that in, though, with the fact that now, this fall, there's like this six-week span where you have... Oh, my God, it's just so many races, right? It's like the Collins Cup, 70.3 Worlds, Kona. I mean, you're not going to do Super League, but that's in there, too. Like, there's... Yeah. How do you pick and choose out of that? Yeah, I mean, the the plan would be to do Collins Cup, Um mm-hmm and then 70.3 worlds and then and then go to kona and uh meeting with coaches monday to to uh kind of talk through that that block of time and where i want to be and when i've always done or the last couple of years i've done kona prep in lawrence kansas mm-hmm. uh with with uh julie's crew and um you know tio has been there obviously rinny as well and then um you know, just kind of a couple other people who are are either prepping to race at that time or prepping for kona uh, and, and that's worked well for, for Tim, uh, hasn't worked well yet for me, but, uh, I don't think that's the location issue. You know, obviously, uh, it's pretty dry here in, um, it's pretty dry here in Colorado. So, um, getting the humidity exposure is kind of why we go to Kansas, but, uh, possibly stay in St. George, um, after mm-hmm. 70.3 worlds, uh, just to limit travel, but we'll see. Uh, it's going to be a brutal 70.3 world. So that's what I came away from St. George with it. It's going to be pretty brutal. It will be. Um, but I think it, it sets it up well um, just because the hill later in the, in the um, race is going to, is going to uh, shake up the bike a mm-hmm. little bit. And so there'll be people that have to override to hang on. There'll be people that fall off and then, um, you know, hopefully they'll, that'll leave some room for runners to come through a little bit. How are you? I mean, obviously you kind of seem like you came out of the COVID year like pretty well. Um I'm I'm I mean I'm guessing, I guess, but like it seems like you you are doing well now. How how are you kind of like setting yourself up for this year? Is there I mean it's you're focusing on the fall, but you know, did you struggle like financially last year? Did you struggle like with all the issues last year? You know, I know you guys moved, like it, it was just a lot going on last year, you know, that people have to kind of deal with. Yeah, last year was really tough um, it, on a you know number of levels. Uh, financially, it was a huge hit. Um, my coaching business was really hit hard, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then yeah, obviously no racing. Um, and you know, honestly, the the PTO stepped up huge, um, both by putting out the the kind of year end payment early, um, which was completely new, so it was kind of unexpected but kind of saved a lot of people 
Um, and then, and then just sponsoring some races and, you know, paying 10 deep and making it just so you could get some level of, of income. And then you know, like, you know, Zwift guys did the same thing, like, you know, threw a little bit of money at some, you know, series there that just allowed, you know, it, it to make you know, take the pain off a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, we had a move at, at the end of the year, um, or in September and, that was a tough time. Uh, but yeah, I actually finally sold the house in, um, in Iowa. We closed two days before challenge Daytona. Um, so I got rid of, you know, the second mortgage and then challenge Daytona was a good day. And, you know, obviously, uh, you didn't get paid right away, but that was like a huge relief, uh, because went from like, having nothing in our bank account to being like, okay, we're going to be able to make it another year. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, I know, I think I've been really interested in is especially these early season races, you're seeing some of the pros clearly still getting their legs back under them. And some people come out just like swinging so hard, they may burn out soon. Right. And you just kind of don't know what's going to happen later in the year yet. Yeah. And you know, that was, to be honest, one of played a role in why I didn't do a full this year. Mm -hmm. um, I would have most likely done Texas. And I just, I, so last spring I prepped for tech or I was prepping for actually um, Australia on May 1st. Mm -hmm. And then that kicked down to, you know, uh, another full one, Australia canceled. And, you know, I just kept on kicking this. So I held my kind of full Ironman fitness for almost three months. And um, it, it just, it was too much. And then to have that, you know, not have that race come, um, that you've been building for. And then, you know, to be in this state of like, is this next race actually going to happen or not? Um, it, so this year I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to focus early season on, you know, one thing going into every 70.3. It's been the swim primarily, um, early on, uh, hopefully I'll be able to get healthy and go to Des Moines, um, just because I really want to race in Iowa. Um, they finally have a race and, and again, and, and, uh, since I'm, yeah, lived there for quite a while. Um, but I'll, I'll have a little bit of a different focus going into that race. Um, but I've been really trying not to put too much pressure on these early season racing races, knowing that, you know, you know, I, I did have Daytona to kind of take a little bit of the financial pressure off of the year um for this year and so i can really kind of go all in for these championship races and uh hopefully i get a different result than i have in the past right that's actually an interesting point because that's the argument everyone always makes right is there are some athletes who financially are able to really focus on champion and there's other people who are just scraping and scraping all year so of course they show up tired or overtrained yep. or whatever yeah yep. yeah it'll be interesting to see racing this fall it'll be very interesting yeah i'm excited so after you, you know, become the first American to win Kona, what is your plan after like long term? How much longer are you going to do triathlon? Are you going to go back to being a professor? Uh, I'll do triathlon until it's not fun anymore. Um, <laughs> until the body hurts too much to get out of bed. I don't know. No. Uh, yeah. Peyton Manning said it best. I'll, I'll hang it up when the preparation is no fun. Uh, that you got to enjoy the process and enjoy the grind. And, and right now, uh, any alternative to that is, is, uh, definitely not appealing to, you know, to what I have right now to being, you know, fairly in control of my schedule uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, being able to train wherever I'm at. And, um, and yeah, it's just a lot of fun to get up and beat myself up every day and, and <laughs> uh, 
yeah, enjoy that. Afterwards, uh, I really hope the coaching thing is is able to uh, carry on. I'd like to eventually get into more of the the pro coaching um, mm-hmm. level. That was, you know, hopefully something that becomes a little bit more uh, possible now that I'm in Colorado rather than Iowa. It's, Iowa wasn't the hotbed of triathlon, at least where I was at. Um, so that you know, the hope would be to be able to stay in this in the sport at some capacity. Um, you know, I. I worked hard to, to get the coaching business to, to hopefully have the infrastructure so I can do that. But, uh, the more successful I am as a, as a triathlete, the higher probability that I'll be able to, to have some sort of a name that people will you know, know for more than a year after the sport to, to look for a coach. So. Which is always kind of funny because they're not necessarily the same people, right? What, what do you, what's that? That are like good athletes versus oh, good coaches. Yeah. 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 No, not, not at all, but you have to, you know, I, I, yeah, you have to be able to get in front of people. Um, so, you know, finding ways to advertise is, is always difficult and, um, winning races has, has been, uh, something that at least gets people to look at your profile, um, and, and hopefully leads to a conversation. Right. Right. That makes sense. All right, so we'll see. You can market yourself at Ironman Tulsa while you're sherpaing. There you yeah, go. you bet. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we usually finish with a "Would you rather." Here's my "Would you rather" for you because you were just talking. Would you rather train or race? Uh I would rather race. Okay. Had to think about that for a second because I was like, "But he, you love the process." So, so I was like, "Well." But I love the pro- like. I typically have process written on my bottle between my arms during a race, like okay. to make sure that that's what I'm focusing. Like the results will sort themselves out. If I feel like if I follow the process to the best of my ability during a race, then that's going to give me the biggest, the most, uh, the highest chance of being successful in the day. Makes sense. Uh, I feel like you have any other words of wisdom because you've just been like full of wisdom here for our, <laughs> for our athlete reader <laughs> listeners. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I, I, every time I get asked this question, my my go-to response is, is always know your why. Um, I have that on a t-shirt and it's helped me through some some tough times and, and helps keep you grounded uh, when things are going really well. You got to know why you're there and, and uh, you know, what you want out of the day, out of the workout, out of the process, out of the whole season. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for chatting with us, Matt. And, yeah, uh, and good luck. On. Yeah, good thanks luck with uh, all the races this year. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks to Matt and Sid for chatting. We'll include some links to check out in our show notes, and we'll be back next week with more fun interviews. In the meantime, keep training and keep listening.